This podcast episode is brought to you by Iron Source. They know you're here for good content, so they're not going to waste your time with a long pitch. Here are the three things you need to remember and know about Iron Source. Number one, they're developing the most robust data-driven growth engine for mobile games. Number two, their secret sauce is closing the monetization marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth. And number three, they have an awesome Medium blog and podcast called Level Up. You can find it on Medium by searching for Iron Source Level Up. Thanks. Everybody, welcome to Twig 68. On the podcast today, we have our full crew. You have myself, Joe Kim. You have Eric Kress. We have Mishka back. Hey. <laughs> we have Adam as well, Adam Telfer. So yeah, good to be welcome, back. everybody. Do we have any any updates, anything interesting going on? I know, Adam, you were starting a little bit of an interesting story before we started recording. You want to <laughs> what's going on? What are you talking about? <laughs> we were saying, so Adam looks well, way too well rested for a newborn, right? And yeah, evidently, the reality is the complete opposite. Yeah, I was up late last night uh, drinking with some good developer friends. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> Who does that? You have a newborn. What is your <laughs> wife doing? Uh, mother-in-law's in town. It's all right. <laughs> oh, I almost forgot. So the articles we'll be covering today. So we'll first start with ByteDance takes aim at Tencent's core gaming business from The Motley Fool. Then Sensor Tower, Nintendo mobile games have earned $1 billion by VentureBeat. Third, Seize Garena acquires Dauntless game maker Phoenix Labs, also by VentureBeat. Fourth, EA made almost $1 billion from microtransactions last quarter from GameSpot. And finally, Ubisoft acquires mobile game studio Calibri Games from Ubisoft's website. And ahead of that, I, we do have a number of quick updates. The first update is Might and Magic Auto Chess did launch. I tried it out. I don't see any monetization in the game, but the game itself is, well, it's auto chess, so it's pretty fun. And I do like the production execution in the game. So for me, I think they did a good job with that part, but... It will be interesting to see how the game monetizes once they put that in. And I also do have a request out to my buddy Damien at Ubisoft, who is the lead game designer on this game, to see if we can talk to him about auto chess and the path to monetization. So stay tuned. Yeah, again, I think execution was one side. I think I have some confidence in that, but it still comes down to the product strategy, right? Going up against team fight tactics, underlords, auto chess at the point when monetization is so weak in this category. Uh, it's an audience game, and yeah, it, Riot has it. <laughs> I'm looking at. Uh, um, I don't know if we we talked about this. Maybe we'll get to it later. But we're. I'm looking at Hearthstone, uh, both on the sensor tower data as well as the uh, on the console data or PC data uh, for Super Data. And Hearthstone is falling off a cliff with this auto chess thing, right? It's yeah, like battlegrounds. Yeah, battlegrounds is like is creating this vortex of users. <laughs> MAUs are going straight to this and they're not spending any money on anything else. It's like it's like the opposite of what they want, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it, crazy. It, it, but they added this mode, which was supposed to be auto chess to compete against that. But actually, if you look at the numbers, they weren't declining that fast from other players going to auto chess. But what they then ended up doing is just cannibalizing their own user plays, moving to this other mode, which is not supported by opening card packs. So there's no core loop. Yeah, right. So they're just sacrificing revenue for MAUs, it seems, yeah. right? And is the MAUs even going up though? And it, well, that's super yeah, data. So to be yeah, honest, it's not really. Yeah, yeah, you can't look at that. I'm just, I, 
anyway, I, I, it's just blowing my mind that people are, are going after these like these games designs that don't make any money. Yeah, it's. A, I have to. I, I was looking through the uh, the comment section. So we've been posting those um, those predictions, and uh, we did one prediction on on the auto chess games. It was uh, it was uh, written by Giovanni Ducati. Just a fast, just amazing name. That's an amazing name, by the way. That's it's like the a- most amazing. But you should. He's like a Harvard graduate, MBA, beautiful por- looking man. With a porn star name. Yes, awesome. and he works. What a combo. And Eric, Eric, he works at Scopely. So he's, of, of I, I think he's he like does. a future CEO. <laughs> of course he does. Of course he does. <laughs> anyway, uh, he wrote an absolutely fantastic post on, on kind of like auto chess. And I was just reading through the comments. And, and there was a global communications lead from League of Legends franchise at Riot. Uh, Mr. Ryan Rigney commented on an author's recommendation to sell in-game advantages like Second Life. In team fight tactics reveal a poor understanding of league's long-term appeal. Competitive integrity matters to our players. So just kind of like saying that they're really looking this as a as a long haul, apparently. So if this is an official spokesperson commenting on it, then um they're not really looking at money, at least on Riot's side. I don't know how it is on, on Blizzard's side. I agree with them in terms of like second lives. Like you yeah. can't sell pay-to-win mechanics, but at the same time, you can sell cards and heroes. Yeah, 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 cosmetics is definitely, but I think he was making a lot of, like, um, in my opinion, just making those comments, like Giovanni wasn't making those comments per se, he was just saying that there's multiple different options for additional monetization and was mentioning something like Second Lives and so forth. You can send sec- you can sell Second Life, but it has to be more like Clash Royale type of approach where it's like a second ticket to the tournament or ability yeah, to exactly. the tournament. Yeah, exactly. And stuff like that, but not inside the match. So I think I think that was um, that was misinterpretation. So I think that's what he meant. Right. The other game launch that we had was Magic Monastrike, and man, for me, this game playing that was not very fun. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just launched, so we'll see what happens. But Mm. I personally can't really see this game going anywhere. And at least for me, this was a huge opportunity to do something really cool like more of a clash royale type of experience they could have made that i i think a really fun game so i think it was a missed opportunity they went like with the lane based stuff instead so i don't know for me i i I thought it was a little bit of a disappointment and the other game that came out which was the huge disappointment was warcraft 3 reforged did did any of you guys play this or buy this i got no I can't stand oh. real-time strategy games. You play <laughs> WoW and you're like, no. No, no. no. Real-time strategy <laughs> games. I, I'm too freaking slow and I hate resource management, man. I just want to get into the oh. action, right? Yes. Yeah, no, so the on. criticism on this game was pretty massive. It's the kind associated with a lot of shit emojis. And it, it literally has the lowest Metacritic score of all time, 0.5. So... Keep in mind that's I a really user know. user Metacritic score. Oh yeah, apparently. sorry. User, user <laughs> it was zero point five Metacritic. That would be that would be insane. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Sorry. Yeah, that's that's right. User Metacritic, and I really can't believe they're charging forty dollars for this. You know, it really felt. I could maybe understand if it was like five to eight dollars, but forty dollars, I think, is just an outrage. And like the effort they put put into reports is just ridiculous. They, I mean, it, it's like they almost did nothing to it. But it's not remastered, remade, or anything. It's basically ridiculous. I don't understand how any key executive at Blizzard would have... How could you find this even acceptable? 
if this were an effort from like two to three indie guys who somehow got the rights to remaster this and did charge $8, I think it'd be okay. But that along with like the new licensing terms where Blizzard now owns all the custom maps is it's basically a slap in the face after delivering a piece of crap. And so, <laughs> you know, it's... Jesus, JK, how do you really feel? Wow. <laughs> JK, you're officially a YouTuber. <laughs> Let's get Angry Joe on the podcast. No, but, you know, Warcraft 3 is one of the greatest games of all time, and for them to shit on it is... Yeah, I would say, I want to be clear, because this is another rant waiting to happen, right, at the end of the day. What really happened here is this is more of an Activision problem, right? So back in the day, if this game were ready to come out and Blizzard management saw this game and realized it wasn't the quality to their standards, they would have delayed it for 12 months to 24 months. Like they wouldn't have cared. Like that's just the way they roll, right? But because they're under the yoke of Activision and they're getting pushed to release content that's not ready. And, and I know a little bit more this, the team itself was probably not really qualified to do something like this uh, or what ended up uh, being the title anyway but you know they push this thing out and it's terrible and the thing that kills me is that this is their biggest franchise like warcraft just itself you know was the movie was the world of warcraft was warcraft uh, the real-time strategy like this is absolutely massive franchise you just you don't throw things out there that hinder the quality or hurt the quality of your 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 biggest ip you know and it's really sad day when blizzard is releasing this kind of content you know we'll see you know what the response is from Blizzard, but I, I don't think it's really that fixable, to be honest. In any, at least in the short term. But what I do want to say, I don't think this is indicative of the quality of the teams that are remaining. I still would say that the quality of the teams has declined quite a bit since since Activision, you know, usurped the company uh, or started like you know overmanaging them. But that doesn't mean that they can't create a quality Diablo or quality, uh, you know, World of Warcraft, etc. But Fundamentally, this is just an example of exactly what we've been ranting about for the last year, right? This is a, this is the manifestation of exactly what we were worried about, right? Was that they would release <laughs> crap, you know, that that has no business being under this Warcraft moniker at all, right? And so it's really kind of a sad day to see this. And I think you know the the core fanboys of, of Blizzard are starting to realize that Blizzard may not be the company that they once knew, you know. So anyway, that's my. My biggest worry, uh, more longer term, about this type of thing. Um, Man, I think I should actually buy this game now. I just want to experience so many <laughs> emojis. You know, this is really <laughs> piquing my interest. All right. Any other updates before we jump into the articles? Yeah. What do I have here? Oh, I want to hear an update. So, Joe, you're in India. Like, we're not talking about you enough. You just present everything else. You kind of shit a little bit on on Blizzard, but dude. So you packed your shit. So let, let me start from the beginning. You go to India GDC. Yes. Uh, you're just supposed to do a talk. You end up leaving with a deal with some development company in India. And where is it? In Hyderabad? And in, in, uh, where is it? I'm in Pune. Yeah, the city I don't Pune. even know what that is. Is it <laughs> south? Is it west? Is it east? It's, is it north? South. Yeah. South. So, so you end up there. Now you're in India. I'm seeing, I'm like, I'm. Listen, I'm watching Game Maker's channel. I'm watching all the uh, all the videos. <laughs> I love them. I'm watching your Instagram stories. I'm pinging you like, what's going on? What's happening? You're, you're driving that suicide mobile in, in India. I mean, I hope you you come out alive. You're eating some delicious food. I didn't know that Indian food could look so delicious. I mean, it's a delicious food, but it looked actually really good what you're eating. And, and you're in the studio that looks actually pretty great. I, c I can see a little bit in the background and it looks oh, yeah. very modern. So you give us an update. Come on. 
Okay, well, I mean, it's pretty simple. So, you know, my, uh, my partner, Paul, and I are just working on a prototype for a game, trying to get it ready before GDC, and then we're going to pitch it, try to, try to raise some money. Excellent. <laughs> That's the story, so, yeah. So everybody listening, I mean, Joe is coming out with a prototype, coming in hot with a prototype uh, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a totally new type of shooter. It's hybrid casual, cloud-based, VR, AR, uh, location-based. Uh, Social network. <laughs> it, it ticks all the boxes for investment, right? Yeah. User-generated yeah, yeah. user content? <laughs> Only you have to. You have content. to have that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How else are you going to get money? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations on getting that going. Oh, and I want to. I want to update one more thing. So we ran the uh, the prediction series. Actually, I'm I'm just finalizing the last one. We're going to publish the, uh, the 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 card games, and that's going to be about it. So nine predictions overall. I just want to say thank you for everybody who was listen who were not listening who were reading it. Uh, I think we we crossed like sixty thousand unique readers on on those predictions. So I, don't, I mean, that's that's insane amount of people reading what, what we write about like such a detailed game analysis. And most importantly, I just want to thank everybody. Like Adam wrote to it, and he wrote a fantastic piece on shooter, and just got a ton of love. And and you know, all the companies contacted they contacted me to come to talk to some of the prominent you know, shooting companies. I'm not going to name them, but they're pretty big. Why? <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't know. I wrote it. <laughs> I know. I'm like, anyway, so, you know. We'll have, have fun at those shooting no, companies. No, I'm, I'm not going. I'm not going. But it was just like, um, yeah, I, I did not write it. I, I read it. It was really good. I might have come I'm an up with a title. I'm reading articles. Yes. Yeah, editing. <laughs> Uh, but I, I, I did write like four of those. So anyways, not the shooting one. So if you want somebody to talk about shooting, that's Adam. Yeah. Anything <laughs> that's to do with shooting, you can always talk to me. Yeah. If you want somebody to talk about RPGs and strategy, that's that's more on my game. And um, and yeah, and then like finally, uh, me and, and the, uh, the handsome bear, Eric Suford, and a couple of other guys from, from Deconstructor Fund. So we kind of started, there was a demand for these kind of reports. So so we we got um, we open up this mobile market monthly. So pretty clear what it does. You get a full report on what's happening in the in the business. We kind of open up a link to subscribe. It was just at the end of every of those twenty page predictions. So if you're interested, you kind of go to the end and oh, I want to hear more. Then you contact. And we got like two hundred and eighty companies signed up for this pilot. We're gonna take only ten to twelve. Uh, so there's gonna be a lot of um, later. We'll, we'll get you later. But just want to you know reach out and say thank you for signing up for Mobile Market Monthly. Uh, thank you for those emails, kind of you know asking to be a, a pilot, and um, we'll we'll get to you. Uh, we're just finishing up the sample report because there was such a big demand. We ended up doing the sample report again, kind of making it better. We thought like ten companies would be interested, but it's like 280 companies, and some of the uh, not some of the the biggest ones. I've been on the calls with them, so it was, it was pretty fun to see that that people are into this, into data. But anyways. Let's jump on in to bite dance. Right. Oh, one other thing before we jump in. Yeah. This will only take 20 seconds. Uh, we did hit an all-time high in listenership. Yes. So, yeah. yeah the, the podcast has just been going up and to the right. So that's that's been amazing. Thank you all for listening. And we really appreciate you guys spreading the word because we're, we're definitely not advertising. <laughs> what I'd actually like to see too, um, more feedback, more comments. Like we yeah, yeah, yeah. make some pretty outlandish calls here. <laughs> with jk becoming a full-on youtuber uh so it is uh, i would definitely appreciate more feedback I, i've seen it a couple times on twitter for people calling us out on yeah. 
uh, certain things, but I don't know what other channels you can use. I got called out a little bit recently on these uh, hyper-casual stuff. I think I made some good comments, right? Hyper-casual is the, is the thing and people are doing well in hyper-casual, but at the end of the day, I, I just want to be clear on my kind of lens here. And I think most people know that because they consider me kind of a cliche investment banker type is that <laughs> it's all about the big companies and the big revenue. So things that drive revenue of like 50 to 100 million plus, like that's kind of where I'm thinking. So, mm. and I'm sure you could probably mention that some of these game companies have 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 done that on hyper casual, but for the most part, it's, it's a race to zero still. And it's just not an interesting market from my perspective from the publicly traded companies. So I apologize if I upset any of the indies or any of the hyper casual guys out there, but that's just not my lens. You know, you can talk to some of these other guys like, you know, uh, about, you know, how, how those things work in the ecosystem. But for me, I don't think they will be a, a meaningful contributor to mm. uh, the big companies. And that that's kind of, again, my lens. The other the quick thing I want to say, and we're way too many updates here, but Patrick Beekner, my boy, uh, who suffered through Amazon for, I think, five or six years without, I think, without releasing a game, which is, I can't believe he actually survived that. And that's my opinion, not his has uh, joined Montecore, and I am a huge fan of Montecore, as well as, obviously, as I said many times, of uh, Roblox, et cetera, the user-generated content, creating a virtual world, you know, the metaverse type thing is, is I, I really do believe that that is something that's going to happen that's going to be really cool, and Montecore is kind of on the cutting edge of tools and tech in order for people to build stuff, user-generated content stuff. So he joined as VP of Marketing, and I'm so happy for him that he found a good spot to uh, uh, do his creative thing. It's with uh, old guys from Spore and Sims too. So it's people that he knew from back in the day at EA. So congrats. Yeah, Montecore or Manticore? Well, I don't know, whatever. Mario or mm. Mario? <laughs> whatever. Let's, get a, let's do the podcast. It's been like 20 minutes. <laughs> okay, okay. Moving on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> into the articles. First article, why fix <laughs> aim at 10 cents core gaming business? So in summary, the world's most valuable startup, ByteDance, the company that owns my favorite app, TikTok, and currently valued at $75 billion, takes on the world's biggest games publisher, Tencent. ByteDance has been making a number of moves in the video game space and definitely starting to get more aggressive. They acquired a developer, Moken Digital Technology and LevelUp.ai, a developer of AI tools for video games. It also recently hired the core team of NetEase's subsidiary, Pongu Game, which for anyone who knows Korean, it's kind of a weird company name. But anyway, they poached veterans of gaming companies like Perfect World and reportedly laid out plans to populate its gaming <laughs> unit with over 1,000 employees. And so Bloomberg recently claimed that the unit will, will release its first two games in the spring for both Chinese and overseas gamers. Both games, along with ByteDance's longer-term pipeline, will include massively multiplayer online games with Chinese fantasy elements. So that kind of sounds like those initial efforts will probably be like Chinese Kung Fu, also called Wuxia or Three Kingdoms. Tencent currently publishes five of the 10 highest grossing iOS games in China, but the size of ByteDance's audience, which use apps like TikTok, Tao Tiao, Vigo, Huoshan, Flipchat, Duoshan, and Lark is catching up to Tencent's audience of WeChat and QQ users. And currently, WeChat reaches about 1.15 billion monthly active users. And the older QQ messaging platform hosts 731 million now. So 
My take on this is it's not clear how well these efforts will do in Western markets without hearing more about their strategy for the West, but I'd say I'd be skeptical they make a big dent in Western markets, um, at least initially, and especially with their initial focus on Chinese fantasy. But it, uh, it would be a big deal if ByteDance decides to use TikTok to try to market their internal games, but fundamentally that would be stealing revenue for other inventory. But clearly the company has unlimited capital, and I have heard rumors they may have actually multiple video game efforts internally. So kind of like how Tencent or Microsoft have multiple internal groups doing the same thing and competing. And I'm not sure if Tom Van Dam listens to this podcast, but if he does, maybe we can get him on as well. Any other takes on this? Ah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I Look, TikTok is a really absolute phenomenon. I mean, my daughter is like a mental patient with these stupid dances all the time, right? In the West, right? And these kids are out on the volleyball courts and if they score a point, they start doing like, without even thinking about it, these stupid TikTok dances. So I, I, there's no doubt that this is a really successful platform from that perspective. But does that, does that actually translate in the West to um, a distribution platform for games? You know, like, I'm not really feeling that, right? And, and even, in, even in China, and I'm not going to be claiming to be an expert in China, but in, in China, when you think of something like WeChat or something that's like embedded within the lives of all Chinese people with all kinds of different reasons, like the commerce, games, et cetera. Uh, I don't know if this fits that bill. And maybe it does in China. I don't know. But I don't think it does in here. So uh, while I think it may, may have some kind of impact and may hurt Tencent on the margin in, in China, and I'm not, I, I should, probably shouldn't speculate on that. I, I don't know how much impact it's really going to have in the West um, from a distribution perspective. And, of course, going against terms of service on Apple is always a bad idea, going around the store, too. So if that's the... Uh, thing that I don't I don't know how big that's going to be. I have heard though that the uh, the uh, ad revenue ad model on on TikTok has been relatively successful. So it is an opportunity to uh, advertise uh, on TikTok has been effective. Uh, although evidently they're not COPA compliant, which is a real concern um, for some companies. So, uh, but that may have changed over time. I don't know. So I don't. Know. Anybody other have any comments? No. Let's move on. Yeah. Uh, second article, uh, Sensor Tower, uh, Nintendo mobile games have earned $1 billion, which by the article, you know, major achievement. They've obviously made $1 billion in their mobile games. But keep in mind when we look at this, uh, this Nintendo is a separate company from, uh, say, Niantic and Pokemon. So any of the Pokemon games are not counted here. This is only strictly uh, Nintendo games because actually if you added Pokemon Go, Pokemon Go is over $3 billion at this point. So this is really just looking at the Nintendo-only titles since about December 2016, when uh, Nintendo launched Super Mario Run. So yes, while $1 billion is a nice milestone, as we've reported here many times, it's underperforming relative to the actual power of these brands. Uh, because when you look at the numbers, 65% of that, $650 million, is from Fire Emblem Heroes, which is released back in 2017, arguably one of Nintendo's weakest IPs. Mario games are actually performing the weakest overall, right? Like Mario Run, 76 million. Mario Kart with still like less than a year, but still 86 million, despite actually being their best brands. So for, for me, this is kind of obvious as we've reported multiple times. So I'm not going to go too deep into it. Um, but the one thing that I actually found interesting around this article was a Nintendo's uh, read on Mario Kart Tour. Uh, where they've actually been reportedly very happy with its overall MTX performance. 
including the controversial subscription offering that they brought out uh, at launch. Um, in the first 100 days, if we look at it, it's made about 75 million, which puts it just ahead of Dragalia Lost, which is relatively their third top grossing title. So, but from the original podcast, as we know, like Mario Kart Tour has some pretty awful controls and the economy doesn't make a ton of sense. And their launch didn't include multiplayer. So when we actually look at how they've updated over the year, they've continued to invest in it, add new characters, add new events. Um, and after multiplayer got added, they got a little bit of a bump, but just wasn't that big. So it was obviously they missed a pretty big opportunity. Um, but overall, they flattened out to about $2 million a week in revenue with downloads pretty much continuing to decline. So I'm not sure where they're reading into this thing. It's been an amazing MTX performance. It looks like it's just going sideways. Yeah, so I mean, I think what we're basically talking about with Nintendo is a $300 million net revenue business annually. And Adam, you pointed out this is certainly exclusive of Niantic, but definitely does feel like a big, big miss for Nintendo as a company that does own the best game IP in the world. But certainly an impressive business if we weren't talking about Nintendo and putting this into context. So Shanghai mobile developer Lilith, they're a great company, but they make more than double the revenue of Nintendo without that massive IP. So if you look at, at it in that context, it is a little bit disappointing. Yeah, and they're like, they're, they have no IP, right? Lilith, yeah. Um, just keep in mind when we're talking about the 300 million net yearly, right? Um, right now, at least a lot of these, a lot of the revenue is actually fueled by these like new hit games versus actually sustaining services. So if we cut away some of that, that number actually goes down. And with Nintendo's biggest brands now behind them, Mario Kart and Mario, it's unlikely that they're actually going to be bringing other ones in, like Zelda. So that number is just going to go down. I don't know. Yeah. By every measure, you have to say that this has been a big failure for Nintendo, right? The expectations were absolutely through the moon because they waited so long to bring their content to mobile that at the time, I think it was like 2015 or maybe a little bit before when they announced this, like analysts on Wall Street were going absolutely apeshit, right? They were basically saying, you know, they're going to have three or four of the top 10 games. They're going to drive billions in revenue every year. Um, this is going to create additional revenue streams to help them mitigate platform transitions. Like, it was like, these Japanese analysts went freaking nuts. So the stock was up like 30%. And I'm just thinking, oh my Lord, like they're never going to execute against this because they have no vision or understanding of how to make money on mobile, right? And the result is they've been re releasing these most amazing, huge franchises and actually not a reasonably quality too, you know, Mario Kart, Animal Crossing and Mario Run. And it drove less than 3% of their overall revenue last year. You know, I mean, it's nothing. It's like mice nuts, as I said many times. Um, and from the overall market perspective, you know, they basically have 0.6% of overall revenue share worldwide. Uh, they're ranked 33, 32nd publisher in the world. <laughs> and then, and then, the only game in the top 100 they have is Fire Emblem, which actually is a great game and a great design for, for mobile, um, while the rest are not. Um, but, you know, for games that have such a broad appeal and a, and a, and a huge loyal fan base, they absolutely, and, and they do, it's stunning amount of downloads, like just amazing amount of downloads. Like, un, these, these levels are just not expected by any brand, really. Um, and they just have failed time and time again to actually monetize these games in a, in, a, in a meaningful way and it's 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 almost like if i were them at this stage i would just 
use, and I said this in the podcast before, I wouldn't even focus on monetization anymore. I would just focus this as expanding the brand and advertising because there's no point. Because again, as I said last time, Mario Kart pissed people more, pissed more of their core consumers off than, than, than delighted them. And so in that calculus, I would just basically move on, right? Or as I've said many times, bring your, bring your content to consoles, like to Sony and Microsoft. Don't, don't, don't bother with mobile anymore. Um, either way, that's a better strategy because I don't think their content is really geared towards mobile, as I've said from the get-go. Um, anyway, that's kind of my quick take on it. Yeah, I, I looked at the uh, Nintendo revenues. You guys are always so, um, so emotional when it comes to Nintendo. So, you know, Fire Emblem bringing 40% of all the, uh, all the revenue during 2019 and just about 1% of installs, pretty much saying that this game is live operations. It's like 1 million installs and, and over 400, over 100 million in net revenue. And the Mario Kart, I know, I mean, I played it and we all played it and, and there are definitely issues as Adam said, but it made some 60 million in net revenue last year. And I, I thought it was kind of like, um, you know, based on the discussions that, uh, that, you know, I'm hearing, it's like nobody's playing it, but it brought 9 million in net revenue last month alone. And that's, that's, that's a lot of money. So I understand that there's a lot of issues with it and the subscription and the expectations are insane, but it's not a total failure. It's making tens of millions of dollars and probably will cross 100 million in, in net revenue over a lifetime. But I understand it's not delivering on what it's expected to deliver. But what I was mostly surprised is games like Animal Crossing and Dragalia Lost. I, I think those kind of like came in and disappeared. But still, last year, Animal Crossing made 45 million with 4 million installs, and Dragalia made 40 million with about 1 million installs. So small mice nuts for Nintendo, those are legit results. Unlike the, uh, the only true failure that they had last year, like comparably, is Dr. Mario World, which was about 4 million in net revenues with about 10 million installs. So my, my question is kind of for you guys, because you've been you know, following Nintendo much more closely, is like, what else can they do? Like, what can they do, do on mobile? Uh, <laughs> I mean, they could they could create like a standard. Well, no, everything I'm gonna everything I'm gonna suggest is basically impossible for Nintendo because they will not like basically. They have too much creative integrity to build the games that are required on mobile. Fundamentally, you know, the 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 money making machines, you know, the progression engines, etc. So, like. The Zelda game is a perfect game to bring out and 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 use, you know, contemporary design on on mobile for RPGs, but they'll never do that, right? They'll mm -hmm. create some kind of amazing experience, you know, that is, you know, an action adventure game where your exploration and whatever, and and basically a game that makes no money, right? <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's like, I, again, that's why my suggestion is just bag it, you know. And and move on, um, and do something that you are your core competency is is set for. Or the other way is is to license the content out to people that know what they're doing, right? That know how to build content for mobile, and you know, do net give Zelda to Netties, which will never happen. So I'm kind of just making a joke, but like, yeah, give Zelda to Netties and make them make an RPG that works in Japan and the West or one of the other Japanese developers, etc. You know, something like that. Outsource this stuff. That's kind of my thinking. Uh, let's move on then. So Seize Garena acquires Dauntless game maker Phoenix Labs. Uh, this was covered by GamesBeat. Um, so just some context here in terms of who was acquired and who is the acquiree. Uh, Phoenix Labs, founded in 2014 by, uh, in Vancouver, uh, actually founded by a few former Riot Games developers. 
roughly now they're at about 109 employees spread across Vancouver, San Mateo, and Seattle. Wow. Uh, C. Garina. Um, Jesus. That? <laughs> That's a lot of developers, man. Yeah, yeah well, it's, it's a, very it's a big developers. Uh, C. It's, Garina, it's, it's, uh, Singapore-based publisher, um, actually has a gaming division, esports and e-commerce, but of course you would know them by their game called Free Fire, which is one of the top shooter games on mobile. Um, a battle Royale game focusing on lower tier markets that is Southeast Asia, South America, uh, and yet still managed to actually be quite competitive uh, while focusing on those markets. They're actually listed on the New York Stock Exchange and Tencent actually owns 40% of the company, just to keep that in mind. Um, there was no disclosed purchase price, but Ken Go publicly posted that it was 150 million, so I'm gonna go based on that. <laughs> <laughs> why, is Ken Go, why is Ken Go an expert all of a sudden? Well, it's not publicly posted anywhere, so I'm just going to use 150, right? He seemed pretty confident in it. Which, yeah. Yeah, so it actually puts it at a very similar deal to the Funcom deal that we talked about on the podcast last week uh, with Tencent. To me, the price is surprising because Dauntless, the game um, that they're known for, had a big splash last year, but just from every metric that I can see has failed to gain traction. So if you haven't played Dauntless, I would call it like a monster hunter light style game where they tried to add, uh, they have like the art style of Fortnite where it's a pretty simple art style, uh, very cosmetic focused economy. And it's very close to the monster hunter typical loop. Um, and structurally is one of the few, I would say co-op PVE style games that actually can work at scale, but the game lacks the same depth as monster hunter world which actually just reached the top charts uh, after its Iceborne release on Steam. Monsters in Monster Hunter World have, I would say, significantly more replayability and depth in how to take them down versus uh, Dauntless. But that's just my personal preference. The numbers that I've seen on this, we've got about 20 million players, which I don't know what that means. Uh, I'm assuming it means accounts, life to date, not Mal. 44 million players actually joined the week after on Epic and consoles. Um, and based on Twitch, the player base has fallen off from about 8,000 viewers to less than 500 now. Um, so while this isn't likely one-to-one uh, -one with their actual DAU, but again, the numbers that I have just don't really show indications that this game is retaining super well. Uh, the other stat that I have is on PS4 from Gamstat says that roughly about 500K MAU on that platform but actually 450K of that being actually brand new players. So it's unlikely to actually be sustaining. So yeah, overall it looks like a pretty similar deal to Funcom where they're acquiring a smaller Western free-to-play HD PC console developer at an early stage with, with kind of a struggling game at a lower cost and hopes they can work with them to get their platform up to scale on free-to-play. But I don't really see the path to this succeeding on mobile just because the engagement's too thin and it's a cosmetic-only economy. So I'm wondering if that was part of the deal. Anyways. Yeah, I, I don't have much to add. I think you actually covered it quite well. I think most likely these guys are basically cashing out their investors because 150 million is probably how much, close to how much money they raised at this point. They had like four different rounds of raise and with some big, big funders and 100 people in Vancouver and Seattle and San Mateo. <laughs> that's a, that's a quite a burn, right? And so... Garena is interesting because those guys, I talked to them once uh, a while back and I should actually reach out again, but these guys have had so much success with uh, C games. So have had so much success with Free Fire that they're trying to expand their capabilities mm -hmm. to build 
more games. Um, and so I think they were just trying to find expansions in terms of development. And it's an interesting acquisition. And they certainly have the funds to keep mm. investing in them. Because the one thing about this game is that the, the production value is amazing. Like what they built is an amazing game. I, there's no doubt, like in terms of, you know, how the game is built. I think it's just more of a niche type of game, uh, Monster Hunter style game that that doesn't appeal to a broadest audience. It didn't clearly hasn't seemed to keep people engaged. So anyway, so maybe they can make something of it with more investing more money and, and working on their next project or or whatever. But uh, but but I have to say, like you you've talked to C Games, I've talked to C uh, or or Garena as well. What they're really good at is they're really good at monetizing those tier three countries. Like I think yeah, they published right. League of Legends in in Southeast Asia. And that Garena Free Fire just killing it in Brazil, just making insane money. Nobody's making money in Brazil, but they are. Right, right. right. So maybe there's a play where they're gonna make this Dauntless into the uh, what's the uh, what are you talking about? The monster monster hunter of the uh, of the tier three. Maybe yeah, that's the play. No, but see, but the irony on the, mobile or on yeah, console? the irony is that this game is too high production, right? I know you can't, you I can't know. dumb it down. I mean, or it's gonna be really challenging to dumb down a game of this. Uh, but it's of this production value. But it's not dumbing down. It's it's you know they're they're just decreasing the uh, the requirements for for the device. Whether that's what it's I mean. I'm sorry. That's what I mean. I'm I'm using the wrong terminology. Yeah, yeah. But like, but they did it for League of Legends. They did it for for that free fire i mean i i it's kind of like i don't understand what else could they do because uh to my understanding i, I would have built this internally yeah. I, I would have rebuilt it from scratch and built it with mobile in mind yeah. Yeah. what if they're trying to take free fire console pc i what was wouldn't why well, wouldn't hand it to the the dauntless team yeah right. like before yeah I, I, there, there's some i i'm not going to comment anymore but I, there's some like disconnect between something like Garena acquiring something like this, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 exactly what I what I felt. And that's why I was saying that they might be like a tier three play. But anyways, let's move on. EA made almost one billion for microtransactions last quarter. So basically EA reported quarters. We're not doing much earning stuff anymore because that's my business. Why would I do that here on the podcast? <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I will say in in defense of of EA, they had an amazing quarter, right? And most of the things that I had predicted came true. To the most part, I can't think of anything that didn't come true. But Star Wars is on track to do about ten million units versus six to eight was their guide, um, and I was expecting that kind of out of E three. Madden and FIFA Ultimate Team both grew. Madden actually was particularly strong, um, and I think part of it's because of increased popularity of the league this year. And even though my 49ers lost. Um, I think because finally the, there's no Patriots in the goddamn finals. <laughs> Everyone was probably <laughs> tuning in because they were so sick of them winning. But anyway. But there, um, there's still Brady in the Super Bowl, though. <laughs> I know. Can you believe that? Yeah, it's so stupid. Guy, how old is he? Like 50? Come on. Anyway, um, <laughs> Apex beat expectations, uh, and they grew season three over season two, which was a call that I had made early, uh, which was interesting. And then... And they still think that digital can continue to grow their business, even though they don't have much stuff going on next year. So all in all, it was a really, really good year for them. And I think they set up really well for the next generation consoles, but that's a whole other thing. And if you're interested in the investment thesis, you know, give me a call. Mobile was the only real negative on the call. And uh, we've been talking about this for a while. And they actually finally kind of said something about mobile more, so, more than they have in the past, saying that, they have a better pipeline this year. They should be able to grow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But 
at the end of the day, they have absolutely no leadership in mobile at this company. As far as I can tell, they have no publishing people. Like, I, I don't know how they can actually expect to grow a business without any type of leadership driving, driving the charge. It's just not a priority. You know, the CEO of EA does not care about mobile. So until that changes, nothing's going to happen here. And I, I, I don't expect them to grow, even though they say that they are. But, uh, but anyway, overall, I think EA is looking really good. And from a digital perspective, the amount of money they're generating from Madden and FIFA is just astronomical. And, mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's not slowing down. I think the popularity of FIFA still continues to grow. Madden is kind of on, uh, you know, NFL's on the rebound. Those games are just juggernauts that will keep delivering for EA. Yeah, so just to give our audience some context with respect to the mobile drop that Eric's been alluding to, so mobile revenue did drop by 17% for the trailing 12 months in this last quarter, and the decline has been happening over the past couple of years, and at least just looking at the data, it does not look like it's going to stop. There are unfortunately no obvious acquisition targets left out there, as we've mentioned before on the podcast quite a bit. So it's not really clear what EA is going to do, but definitely, as, as Eric mentioned, looking much better on the console and PC side. As for me personally, definitely excited about uh, Knights of the Old Republic. And Andrew Wilson did tease additional titles as well, so it'll be interesting to see what else will wind up being announced. But I think one of the biggest takeaways from this call has been the growth of live services, um, especially when looked at in comparison to the 2016 numbers that uh, I think somebody from there presented, but it's clearly the area of biggest growth. So of the 1.593 billion in revenue for the past quarter, mobile was 161 million, full game downloads was 286 million, packaged goods and other was 469, and live services was 677 million. So the biggest contributor and this is definitely as you know, free-to-play guys uh, on this podcast, cool to see, definitely represents a big shift for EA and for the overall industry, especially in comparison with uh, the change from 2016. Yeah, my only comment here is, is I guess for this podcast, um, being a bit more constructive instead of always, you know, shitting on everyone. <laughs> um, like, what would we actually do if we were part of EA Mobile right now? How would we turn this thing around? I mean... Mm. You got a couple hundred thousand dollars, and I'll oh give come you my on, strategy. Eric. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's only there's only really two options I think at this stage for them, and I am, and and I want to be clear, I don't really understand the inner workings of EA and all the things that are going on in there. I'm sure it's super political. You have Samantha Ryan, you have all these, you know, the CEO, and you have other people that have been hired to like run mobile, etc. I, I don't. I, Forget all that for a moment. There's like really, it's like simply two options, right? You either acquire a complete solution mm -hmm. and embed it there and have them manage what is mobile at this stage and, and fix it, clean it up and make it a real operating unit that has its own P&L, which I'm sure it does now, but by function, but, but not by, by, by in practical sense. Or you just spend a ton of money acquiring a leadership team, you know, like, a CEO, a COO, a CFO, a head of product development, like you just build basically a kabam in, within EA um, that, that, and they have their autonomy and they have their marching orders and they have their budget and they just do what they need to do, right? Those are the two real options that I can see. You can't, I don't think what you could do is what they're doing is try to grow it organically, have teams within embedded with other teams. You know, you have the, you have your, 
Madden team and your FIFA team with the mobile team in there. I think that's not smart. And I don't think having like uh, the guys at uh, Respawn or the guys at uh, Fireware having their own mobile teams, like that's, I don't think makes any sense, right? So the fundamental problem with the first option to acquire is there's not many companies out there to acquire, right? Like there's not many companies with actual full publishing, full capabilities of building games, releasing games, you know, UA, customer support, et cetera, except for maybe our favorite company, which is Warner. But other than that, like I don't know there's a lot of teams out there that, that, that they could actually acquire that would, that would fit that bill, but Warner would be the only one that I can think of off the top of my head. And I think too, like spending now, see, I'm being negative again, but spending a lot of teams on building teams, like who the heck wants to work at EA and do mobile, right? That's the whole problem, right? It's like they're, they've completely unfocused themselves for the last like decade, right? Since doing all these stupid acquisitions. And now like it's not what it used to be. And so like, it's not a real appeal for a high powered executive to go into uh, a big company like EA and be working on the stepchildren of product from, which is obvious from how the CEO has treated this over the last his since his tenure. So, I think that's a tough sell. And so, what I keep saying, and I, I, I know, I'm, if someone like Laura takes over and she says that this is going to be a strategic priority and we're going to invest resources into this, then they can start attracting that kind of talent and building out um, the capability of actually making a game and, and publishing a game. Right. So that's kind of my my high level thinking. And yeah, I, I'll, I'll take I, I my check. I, I, th- <laughs> I think I think there's a lot of I mean Eric you're you're right on on, on many facets but I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of pull for EA in terms of getting good developers and, and and good people in because we all want to at least in our mind work on some of the top franchises that they do have so it's an incredible opportunity whether they're making Dragon Age or whatnot to just you know kind of work on those um, those franchises that that got us into games so I think they have that that poll. Uh, I do agree that they that they don't seem to be that invested into their mobile business and kind of focusing on on different areas. And and um, uh, when you're thinking about the acquisitions and if 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 it would be an acquisition that at the same time brings so, some kind of leadership and strategy, I'd go for like network. I mean, those guys used to work at EA. At least the CEO did. Come on, J.K. I, I see J.K. Jesus. shaking his head. Why not? Because we were talking about, about people that are focusing on publishing, I, I do, I do like that's a smaller one. But then there's a, but then there's big ones that that are you know probably going to be sold at, at some point, like like Peak. But but that's no, that, that's see, that's really one see, Peak would be a good really fit. Yeah, that's good content acquisition. That's not a good. Yeah, yeah it's not. I, it's I, not I, I don't know anything about Peak. I, that but but they they're based in what in in Russia or something? I mean, Istanbul, like, <laughs> Istanbul, whatever. So like that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't solve their problem. Is it really Istanbul? Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking Playrix because that was the first one I thought of for acquisition. <laughs> they should acquire Playrix. I think that's a good content acquisition, but that doesn't solve their fundamental problem of not having any leadership. Um, yeah, I think because of the lack of external options, they, they really have to take a longer term view and build organically. I mean, I think that's like the only option left to them. But the problem with that with EA is you're going to need the right overall leader for mobile. And that person would need to know how to find the right people and build out those teams. And I think that's the hardest part is finding the right person to help evaluate and build out those teams. They kind of already have some of the existing pieces, like the old CTO of Kabam Vancouver is in Vancouver working for EA. I mean, that's it's true. That I like guy that guy. Had a creative director 
Yeah. I mean, you know, they're, they're halfway there for, for at least one studio. So. Yeah. I mean, I like, I mean, I love that guy, right. Him and I are like, we both love cars. He's a big M3 fanatic, but um, <laughs> I, I respect him. And I think he could actually build a team, but I don't know if he's the type that actually can build he a strategy. He needs a director to be paired up with. No, no, no. But he also needs the management structure to like manage the whole, well, yeah, to get I the mean, resources but, he needs. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's going to be, they're going to be able to put a team together, right? Yeah. But, but at the same time, guys, you have to keep into account, like, like you mentioned, you know, the person who's heading EA Mobile, uh, she also has Bioware on her plate. That's, that's, I mean, those are two really difficult jobs at the same time. So, so um, yeah, just, you know, I'd go crazy. Yeah. That's, that's part of the problem. That is part, that is the problem. Right. Okay. I mean, Samantha Ryan is wonderful, I'm sure, but she's not mobile person and she has a lot more big concerns than than mobile development when you're dealing with Bioware and 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 uh, Maxis. So right. should we talk about something else? Should we talk about Ubisoft? Yeah. Explain to me what Ubisoft's mobile strategy is in like a few short sentences. No, no, no. This I is exactly the question that I have. <laughs> at the end of it, like don't jump into the conclusion this is what i'm gonna oh sorry sorry <laughs> question to you <laughs> every time i see every time i see one of these things hit the transom i'm like what the hell is ubisoft doing now right i have to right, cover this company and so all these things just don't make let, sense to me let's over start and from, over and over again let's start from the beginning and let's get into the ubisoft <laughs> mobile strategy so they announced that they're acquiring 75 percent of fluffy fairy games uh, now known as calibre games so that's, that was their previous name. Wait, their name and was Fluffy Fairy? <laughs> yes. Really? Yeah. yeah. Are we joking here? Oh my okay, God. I'm going to no. tell a story. So these guys, these guys were, uh, they were visiting Rovio for RovioCon, I think it was 2018. And um, just, you know, two young guys, like, amazing. Like they were so positive and everything. And, and, uh, and they, were, <laughs> they were just like, I, th I think this is the first game that they made, like straight out of college. And, um, and they were like, <laughs> they're a bit lost in the beginning of like, what is a good retention rate? And they were like, so what's, uh, what's like, is 75 good for day one? <laughs> so like, in, like their, their games has insane number of retentions. Like, it was, just, it was just so crazy. JK was there. You remember, right? Yeah, I was there. Yeah. yeah, they were telling some. I, I didn't believe them. I was like, <laughs> I didn't believe that's 75. Yeah, they, they were telling some, like, with how many downloads? Five? Like, come on. Like, like it's, so their, their game was super hot at that point. And that was, that was of course, uh, the, uh, the Idle Miner Tycoon. And um, yeah, so Ubisoft acquired seventy five percent. They have the uh, the four year earnout where the Ubisoft can buy up to one hundred, and um, they gave some stats. And Idle Miner Tycoon has over one hundred and four million downloads. So if you aggregate that at, at around seventy to seventy five day one retention, and I remember they said day seven it was something ludicrous. It was like forty five or something like that. It was just insane. So anyway. Uh, and they have now about 100 employees. I believe they're all based in Berlin. Uh, there's a quote from Jean-Michel de Tour. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce French name. But he was saying basically that we're strengthening our idle games portfolio with the acquisition of Calibre Games. Uh, this is the executive director of Ubisoft Mo Mobile, Jean-Michel. And one of the leaders in the segment whose flagship game, Idle Miner Tycoon, has grown steadily since 2016. We're delighted that this great talented team recognized for the longevity of their flagship title is joining Ubisoft. And that was his official quote. And he's saying they're strengthening because they previously acquired Green Panda. So let's look at a little bit the numbers. So in 2019, the Idle Games saw a double-digit growth rates with annual downloads hitting about 470 million. That's plus 54 
installs year over year. And the annual revenue when it comes to in-app purchases was only 111 million, which is still a growth of about 23 year on year. So on high level, idols can be categorized into three revenue buckets. There's the Idol Miner Tycoon, which is the Calibri game. And that game generates about 2 million in in-app purchase revenues. I'm going to go in app revenue a bit later. Uh, 2 million a month. Then there's a successful game fluctuating at around 1 million. And the rest are making between 250 and 500k uh, a month uh, with in-app purchases. So as Eric would, would kind of look at it, this is, this is mice nuts. These are tiny games. Why are we even talking about this? You know, if the top game makes only about 25 million a year, it's under 50 so they can go and screw themselves. But hold on, I did some calculations. <laughs> and um, the thing is, uh, when you consider the overall revenue, so uh, according to my knowledge, about 55% of revenue for these games comes from ads. So if we look at Idle Miner Tycoon and their run rate of 2 million uh, in in-app purchases, that means about 1.4 million of net revenue in-app purchases. But at the same time, they get 2.45 million in ad revenues with a pretty much zero cut to Apple and Google. So that leaves you with 3.85 million in net revenues a month, which in case if this game was making only in-app purchases would be 54 million in in-app purchases. So it fits to the uh, Eric Crest bucket over 50 million. So we could talk about this. Dude, and you it- are pulling <laughs> numbers out of your fucking asshole. I'm not. I'm what not. is These that? Are- There's this. Oh, Yeah. Just double it with in-app per- uh, uh, advertising. Come on, that's right. like a low estimate. Okay. No, this is this is. I'm not. Keep yeah, in mind some gonna, of the public numbers that have actually been said about this company, mm-hmm. right? Like they've actually publicly said how much they're making per day, and you can use that to calculate. I, I think yeah. even Jeff Cohen had it at like forty to sixty yeah, percent uh, ad revenue. So it's and, not. And Eric, yeah, and Eric, these are. These are very accurate numbers. Like, you know, but we, we, got, I don't, we got a okay. really big group. I, okay, we can ask. all right, all right, fine. Uh, maybe I'm wrong on that. I'll, I'll, I'll acknowledge that. But what the hell happened to Ketchup, right? What, did they think? Okay, so now the next part of the, why are you jumping the gun? To expect so, to feel it, right? I can't just hold God. on to the outrage. I, know, I can't fun. contain myself. I know, I know. So, so you know, over the course of the year, the whole subgenre has been stabilized and actually slowed down the growth and the rapid declining year-over-year growth it, it can be seen just over the quarter. So it's slowing down. It's, it's maturing. Calibri makes about 25% of all the revenues in this idle genre. Uh, their second game, Idle Factory Tycoon, which is pretty much, you know, same game, different theme, was a total flop. I mean, it, it just, it did nothing. So, and we actually wrote in our prediction uh, in January that, I'm quoting, Calibri's portfolio revenues are taking a major year-over-year growth rate beating with a 77% year-over-year growth that turn into 25% at the end of the year. And this could mean major changes in the company's future as Idle Miner Tycoon cannot mine gold forever. So essentially, we made a prediction that Playtico will buy them. We were wrong, but, but um, it, was, it was Ubisoft. So my take on the deal. I know, you know, JK is going to promote his game, his game maker's YouTube channel later on in this, in this podcast. And I encouraged for him, so I'm going to promote for him. He made an interview with Calibri CEO back in the day. So go to Game Makers and, and JK is going to add a link so you can listen to the, the whole whole deal. But I mean, I think overall this is a great deal for Calibri. Uh, it was going to be Playtica, but they pa- they clearly, um, not, not clearly, I don't know if Playtica was actually looking at them. But I was just assuming it was Playtica, but they passed on a deal. And, um, and, and, you know, let's look at this from Ubisoft perspective. So 
they definitely have a very weird mobile portfolio for a AAA publisher known for games such as Assassin's Creed and Rainbow Six. Uh, Idle Miner Tycoon at the moment is making 25% of all their mobile revenues. There's South Park at about 9%. There's Hungry Shark World, Grotopia, and Assassin's Creed Rebellion, as well as the Mighty Quest for Epic Loot, which are all of their top games, about 5% of overall revenues, or you know between 5 to 10 million annually. So that's their top games, making between 5 to $10 million annually. So they previously bought idle game publisher Green Panda. And I was looking at the publisher numbers. There's no growth. There's actually a little bit of a decline already. And before that, they brought they bought Ketchup, and I don't want to be in many ways negative at Ketchup. I got called out for it as well. So I'm sure they're doing great. I'm sure they're very profitable with Ketchup. But when you look at the overall segments, Ketchup is is was one of the main players, and now we really have to go down the list to kind of add Ketchup to like an also in the category the the you know the former king. But at the same time, this might be not Ubisoft's fault. It might be just you know, the thing with hyper-casual publishers, like all the top publishers are there for the good time, not for the long time. So it seems like they're changing year on year who's the top publisher and who's who's out of it. So they bought a cash cow and I'm, you know, I hope that Idle Miner, Ty- Idle Miner Tycoon can, can, you know, help the Green Panda to grow. But overall, uh, just like Eric, I don't see the strategy behind Ubisoft's mobile strategy. They there seem to be going at, at like extremely casual and even hyper casual and and all these games as eric would say are delivering mice nuts to uh to a publisher that big so eric please do rant <laughs> no i'm I, actually I'm, I'm i'm done ranting on this i i don't get it i don't understand it i don't understand what happened to ketchup i don't know why you're holding back on ketchup like they were there the leaders of this space it's, it's, right it's ketchup not ketchup whatever <laughs> ketchup ketchup doesn't matter dude because they were the leaders of the space and they fell off the fucking cliff, right? I, I, what else could I say? I mean, I don't know where these guys are right now and what, what Ubisoft's doing with them. And then acquiring... I, actually, I don't mind the idle games. I think the idle games are actually kind of good. I mean, but, but I, it, there's no strategic sense to this to me. I, I don't see it, right? And, I, and, it, it, and with Ubisoft, as I've said many times, they're so frustrating because they they do so much stuff on the periphery of and it's all like throwing money at nothing right like you know whether it's things like steep or things like the rock band thing or what that they do or all these other games like toys to life and this seems like another thing where it's like a team now this is all speculation of course it's some team in paris (laughs) that is berlin is it berlin (laughs) yeah it's berlin no 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 paris makes all the decisions no no i'm talking about ubisoft Okay, okay. Ubisoft has this team in Paris that's trying to build out a mobile strategy, and they're just basically, I don't know, going to conferences and talking to their buddies who's who's working at Ketchup and then working at this other motherfucking place, and they're just buying things that willy-nilly that make no sense, right? That's what it feels like. It feels like a corp dev, biz dev, like handshakes all over the world, and no one else is looking at these companies that I know about. You know, it's like, I don't know. Ubisoft's wow. got to get their thing. They got to get some control over what's going on at that place, man. It's, it's nutty. I, I think we are a little bit too negative, guys. So let, let's focus on the positive. But, but wait, hold on. Okay, the positive is that good for Colbury. They got sold. Yes. They made some money. Yeah, yeah. I, I am, I am 100% supportive of what Colbury's doing. I, that, that makes sense to me. I just don't understand well, this from Ubisoft's yes. perspective. Thank you. <laughs> and they it, make it's over it's actually million. not a slam on Colbury either. Actually, they built a great business. I'm not actually... Be, 
talking about them. I'm just talking about why is Ubisoft involved? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Right. But the positive is that these basically kids right out of university made a great business, great yeah. games. And, you know, congrats to those guys. And yes, Mishka, we do have a Deconstructor Fun <laughs> podcast with Daniel Stemler, the co-CEO and the Game Makers YouTube channel. So check out the link. And congrats <laughs> and the whole Colibri crew over there. Well-deserved for those guys. Those guys are awesome. And yes, yeah, 75% yes. Attention is like ridiculous. I've never yeah. seen any game. Okay. All right, Absolutely. maybe maybe yeah. the CEO can explain exactly why this is good for UV. Can you ask him that? <laughs> 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 let him celebrate. Like let him have a good time for a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I think I, I, think I, I agree with you. It doesn't. I agree with you. It doesn't make a ton of sense within UV's mobile portfolio. Well, what we, we don't know what we don't you know what their strategy is. So, but because Eric, it doesn't I, I make any have... sense. <laughs> We don't know what they're so strategy. Why don't we ask them because there is no strategy. <laughs> yeah. Like, like it's it was the same thing with Green Panda. We were just sitting there like, what are they buying? Right? Like yeah. what what do they see as, as moving between? But again, like I'm a huge fan of idle games. Um, I think 50% ad revenue, like that's the type of model. It's actually great to see validation mm -hmm. in the idle game space mm -hmm. uh, of like putting a price tag on some of these games. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's it's great for the idle game space as a whole. Um, that it's now been validated. So uh, huge yeah. props to Calibri out of Berlin. Uh, yeah, this. yeah. You know, at the risk of uh, getting the ire of our listener who complained before, is like I'm a big more, <laughs> much more a fan of idle games than I am of hyper casual. <laughs> 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 and I know it's not a genre, but in we my have view, a number of enemies count on this podcast. <laughs> How many enemies no, can we make? <laughs> it's, uh, it's just a friendly banter. <laughs> All right. Anyway, all right. I think that's it, guys, unless there's anything else. No, no, no boondoggles. Nobody's doing nothing. Everyone's going to be out here for GDC? No. Yeah. What? Oh, come on, man. Come on, Mishka. Any excuse to go to a boondoggle? You're not coming? No, this is I, like this is, this is, I'm getting at least once a week an invitation to something at GDC. Uh, last one was, was actually pretty good yesterday. Uh, I'm not going to name the, uh, the group. But um, but but no, I'm I'm I've been there for like six, seven times in a row. I've done two talks in in a row. Everybody who I know from from San Francisco has pretty much moved out because it's unlivable, and it's dirty, and it's dangerous. Hey, I'm still and, here. God damn it! <laughs> and, and even even this even this amazing event that that JK that we were planning seems to be dead in the water because of the coronavirus. What? Oh, really? Right. Yeah, yeah, we were we were planning this event with a named party that is giant social platform, and they were um, <laughs> they were they were bringing basically all the uh, the Chinese companies gaming executives together, and we were about to have this. Um, I don't know; it might still happen. So if it happens, you know, reserve the date. But because of the coronavirus, that seems to be hampering even our you know top notch event. Okay. Uh, well, if, if you're getting any, any invites for GDC for for your shooter article that you wrote, that was really good. Uh, see if you can forward those off to me. There's a, there's Adam, a, are you going to be able to come up? Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> oh, are you giving me a? You're giving me a pass. Uh, yeah. Adam, oh, Adam, it's I? the uh, it's the California <laughs> it's it's the two California based uh, publishers. You know what? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'm driving up. Uh, I'm actually doing two talks at GDC this year. So, you're wow, doing two talks? Yeah. yeah. Wow. You're not job I mean, searching, are you? 
No. <laughs> this is not a self-serving podcast. Oh, Eric. it's not. Oh, <laughs> it sort of feels that way. All right, let's get let's uh, let's let's put this thing to bed and, and wait, get wait, out of here. Is, is right. there going to be a DOF party at DDC? Um, I wasn't organizing anything this year because I wasn't going. But um, no, it's all, it's all on Adam. Yeah, I mean, JK, <laughs> I'm gonna have time to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, well, we did two parties in a row. So the first year with games, and they got acquired, and the second one with it was Iron Source, and they got what? Um, how much did they raise? So we like, were in a good, like ten trillion dollars. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm not saying there's a correlation. No, there's a correlation, but there's no causality. But it makes sense to sponsor a deconstructor fun drinking party, <laughs> except. Yeah, with with JK, I mean, we did the one dinner that that didn't go well for the yeah, other sponsors. Dinner's so. not going. If if there's any sponsors that want to sponsor a deconstructor fun party, let us know. We'll put one on. Should be fun. About two hundred guests. You know, we can easily get that <laughs> rolling. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right, that's Let's it. Cut it. It's done. Let's, okay. This is too much. Let's. Bye bye. Hey, bye. <laughs>